The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. To the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Superman Edition. The movie. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man X-raying my brain to see what I think, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. Can you read my mind? Do you know what it is you do to me? Don't know who you are. Just a friend from another star. Here I am like a kid at the school, holding hands with a god. You're not going to do the whole thing, are you? Will you look at me quivering like a little girl shivering? You can see right through me. Can you read my mind? Can you picture the things I'm thinking of, wondering why you are? All the wonderful things you are. You can fly. You belong to the sky. You and I could belong to each other. If you need a friend, I'm the one to fly to. If you need to be loved, here I am. Read my mind. (laughs) Is that why you were so excited? Uh, Just it's off a, air, it's a big, Tom had announced he was so excited to do this. It's a big part of it. <laughs> okay. And the fine. movie itself has, has some plot to play. Okay, good. That is, for those of you who, Whew. you know, who uh, understandably don't remember that moment from Superman the movie, that's uh, the brief section of the movie that becomes a spoken word musical temporarily. So my favorite part of that, and I'm sorry to skip so far to the end of what we normally do, but because you always have a credit check for us. Yeah. And I noticed in the credits Mm -hmm. that that is labeled as a song performed by Margot Kidder. And that was fantastic to me. (laughs) Just, Just the fact that it was labeled that way. Yes. Yes. That it was considered a song. In the same way that William Shatner produces songs. Yeah. Songs and scat right. quotes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew right. some, I knew something was up as soon as I saw those musical theater clouds. You right. can see it coming exactly. a mile up. We go from this gritty urban realism to fucking Brigadoon very quickly. Per- yeah. <laughs> It's pretty ethereal up there. Yes, it is. It's uh, Poltergeist 2, the other side, up there. Yeah, very much. Here we are, then. Uh, This is the inaugural episode, Tom. That's right. Of our bonus content for people, uh, you know, shelling out the greenbacks on our Patreon. That's right, yeah. And we're starting with Superman the Movie, a 1978 film actually definitely directed by Richard Donner. <laughs> Although, again, say... once again, not to skip straight to the end, but the way that the Salkine <laughs> brothers credit themselves at the end of this film, you can see his firing coming a mile away. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. 
All right. Well, you know, as many times as possible when we're doing this bonus content, we'll be talking kind of original movies and their their reboots mm-hmm. when it when we can. And it's great to have two movies linked. Yes. And uh, if you're shell- if you're currently shelling out five dollars, may I suggest ten? Because then you'll be able to see hear us talk about Man of Steel uh, next. But yeah. we're dealing with Superman the movie. This movie, as I stated, directed by Richard Donner, ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think people know Richard Donner, Tom. Uh, yes. A little. He started a little series called The Omen. Wow. We, uh, <laughs> we're not there yet, no. but stay tuned. Yeah. We've got, uh, Goonies, the Lethal Weapon series, Scrooged, Maverick, uh, later in his career, 16 Blocks, I think was the last movie he did, a movie with Bruce Willis. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. he's tied to the toy. For further information on that movie, well... Listen to Project 1982. Yeah. To know what a mistake that was. But, I mean, the man was around for for decades, and but he was... most of his filmography, I think people would argue, is a, a, a good filmography. And, you know, he never really retired. He was in the process of making another Lethal Weapon movie know. when he died. Which is now in the hands of uh, Mel Gibson, God help us. Mel Gibson? <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> For whatever that's worth. <laughs> that's going to be one Catholic movie. <laughs> yes. I'd like to, you know, the very first of those movies starts with with Sergeant Murtaugh about to retire. Yeah. I'd like to know how they handle the close to 30 year gap. Well, since the the last movie in which he still hadn't retired, I assume the entire movie is going to be about Murto being crucified. Yeah, and and halfway through, a a jaguar bites off his face. (laughs) Those are the only Mel Gibson movies I've seen, (laughs) (laughs) and I love one of them. Well, now not going to tell you which uh... one, but I'm also not a Catholic, so you can probably guess. Fine. Uh, Superman the movie budget of fifty five million opening opening weekend of just seven point four, but one hundred and thirty four point four in the USA, three hundred point four in the world, and gave birth to our first set of sequels. That's right. And there were three of them. And I was reflecting upon this as I was watching it that it's interesting that this series. Starts in 1978, yeah. gives you three sequels that go through to 1987, and it's not until really 1989 that you get Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. So, for a good decade, it was just Superman was... and Superman only. Yeah, and I'd also you know a good uh, 20 years before Spider-Man becomes a right a cinematic franchise, um, and there's so much in this movie about building you know, uh, building a franchise from the the ground up and also taking, because, I mean, you know, Superman had existed in comic book form, in matinee serial form, in television form. Mm -hmm. So this isn't a sequel, but it's an adaptation. Um, Yeah. And that, and you, you, you very much need to remember that while you're watching it because 
<laughs> there are aspects of this film that very much play out as if it is a sequel. Mm-hmm. But it's just that this is the first time we've done this on film. We've done it before right. on TV or in a comic book. Um, yeah. And that's that's how this this movie plays out. It's it's not well, and I think it's, it's... not the most original original. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to right. Start with in a series that we're calling yeah. original. And I think it's interesting when you take into consideration that this movie was made at a time when this didn't happen a lot, but no. this movie and its sequel were made at the same time. They right. filmed both movies at once. Yeah. I love also an ending credit that said, you know, Superman <laughs> 2. Next year. Will we'll return, like, will happen next year. Not quite. No. But the, fil- yeah, the film is already making, pro- this series is already making promises it can't keep. Yeah, they they fired someone and re and hired someone in between the time. But that was in scare quotes, so you could you could say that there was some foresight there true. that uh, <laughs> they didn't want to be held true, to true, that. True, true, true. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because one of my first notes is that uh, the first thing that this movie does is to set up its own sequel <laughs> yeah, before right. it does anything else. It's it's minute one. <laughs> From minute one, this thing is going to set up the villains of the second sequel, which I think is astounding. What's also astounding is that they they uh, they had this scene, which would have been perfect as the beginning scene for Superman two, but they couldn't use mm-hmm. it because Marlon Brando was in it and he didn't agree to return. And he was being an asshole. <laughs> so they had to they had to reshoot this perfect opening scene for Superman two. Yeah. To shoot around Brando and also to change some of what happened because, you know, it's very clear that Zod is repenting when he gets put in the Phantom Zone and that doesn't really jibe with how you see him uh, first in Superman 2. In Superman 2, yeah. right. Um, but, I, I, I mean, my notes start before that because... Uh, oh, me too. My but... first note is, well, I wonder if we have the same I thing. I think we probably do. Are we talking old, old school Warner Brothers logo? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. This. Yes. Yes. It, it's because it, I found that it's very linked, exciting. My note is linked to that. Well, my okay. first note is that, you know, for for <laughs> for a movie that's not a sequel, it sure begins like a sequel with this <laughs> this industry ratio introduction. <laughs> yes. Right. And. There's so much to unpack here, but chiefly... I had completely forgotten about that's it, by exactly the way. What, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say that it is in the pantheon of forgettable openings to famous films. It's right up there with right. the animated titles of Greece. <laughs> I would argue that people remember that more than this. Yeah, it's always a surprise when this comes up. Yeah. And it's... It, I mean, it, I think it is also part of you know what cinema, what cinema does as it develops technologically and the screen gets wider and more encompassing. They want to show it off a little bit, so they need something to compare it to. So that's why you know only the center of the screen is being used, and then suddenly it expands. Yeah, this, right. And it this, goes into yeah, yeah stereoscopic yeah. glory. Um, so there's that going on, and and you know there's it's. It's going back to the origins of Superman in the late 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say that, yeah, you know, th- right. th- this series already has a history. 
which yeah, again is a very right. odd choice when you you know you're the first Superman movie proper. Well, and it's I thought it was also interesting because one of the first things you see is literally a comic book, action comics. Yeah. Except you don't get the one that we all would think of. Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. That would be there at the front. You know, it's not the one with Superman lifting the car. So, so, so even that is a sequel. Yeah, right. We're not even starting with the original comic. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, great. I love the fact that Superman is fourth build in his own movie. I know. I have the same note. <laughs> but it goes back to Marlon Brando. Yeah. And that you know, on top of it, Gene Hackman. Yeah. But I was surprised again in the credits that you you got those two men. I knew they were going to be first. Yeah. But I was surprised that the next credit wasn't Christopher Reeve. I know. It was it was a Richard Donner film. Yeah, exactly. Followed by title, then yeah. you finally get to find out who is fucking playing Superman. That was incredible. And it's when you realize that, that in terms of billing, screen time is not important here. No. Trevor no. Howard is in literally seconds of this movie, and he's one, apparently one of the main cast. Yes. I mean, it's fair enough. It's Trevor Howard, you know. By all means, advertise that he's in your movie, but <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. And, you know, it, it it's easy now, I think, to mock the title sequence for this film because it's so long and so bombastic but the combination of graphics sound and music i think it's yet to be bettered well and that was you know that's one of my notes because when you know when we finally get rid of the the movie theater sort of curtain and we we get rid of of flipping through pages of the comic book and actually go into outer space yeah and you get some of the most recognizable opening credits that have ever been put on yeah. film so much so that and we probably talked about this when we did our 100th episode with Superman Returns they felt compelled to keep the credits yeah. when they did that movie yeah and, you know, to me, it's it's this and it's Star Wars, but Star mm -hmm. Wars has also been fucked with by Lucas. Mm -hmm. uh, but but the actual yellow <laughs> font of Star Wars, nice and loud with John Williams music, who's, of course, doing this music as well. Yeah. And then falling back like those are the two kind of most iconic. Definitely. Opening credits that maybe we have in in film history. And there's, you know, there's so much in this one movie that is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you see, you yeah. know, I mean, the, the sequels will use the final shot of the movie again mm -hmm. and again and not again, even, again, and yeah, not even and attempt and to reshoot it. To try and it's show too perfect. anything different. Yeah, yeah right. Um, and I think that's the same with the title sequence. It, it, it's, you'd, be, you'd be a fool or Zack Snyder to mess with it. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, directly following that, we get the Krypton theme and then a zoom into the planet. Uh, and again, I think this is one of the most awe-inspiring openings to any film I've ever seen. Yeah, me too. It is We've just, talked recently about... It's kind of like an overture, fuzzies. right? But, yeah. But 
you know, I, I don't know about you, but when when you know when you go back to old Hollywood movies that have overtures, you can't wait for them to be over. This is like the opposite of that. This is yeah, right. This is like fuck you, Lawrence of Arabia. But th- this is what I want to yeah. see. You know <laughs> exactly. It's just and... incre- it, I mean, it. it I. I. You, it, nothing sets you up better for this movie than that, and it takes its time. But yeah, you need it. It just it 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 just inspires a kind of overwhelming sense oh. of emotion in you and yeah. yeah a majesty that just kind of sets I, up the movie better than any I've seen I had a physical reaction after we fly through space and we actually get to Krypton mm. and you see that first model yeah with the dome oh yeah I know exactly what you mean yeah you know and I had a physical reaction of just warmth and yeah. love and just you know everything that i love about movies yeah. was wrapped up into that one shot and it made it made i was beaming yeah when i saw it you know completely and it's uh you know it's no it's no wonder that they reused it wholesale for superman 2 yeah and uh, i'm probably because I, I've seen this much less than the Superman. I've seen this much less than any yeah. of the Superman sequels. So it's it, it can me still too. do something to me, but I've also got that memory of, of the beginning of Superman 2 in my head. So it's yeah. both it's both <laughs> yes, comfort yes. it's both comforting and fresh at the same time. Yeah. Because, you know, That's... I'm expecting it to go straight into little boy penis. But thankfully right. exactly. thankfully <laughs> it goes into this astounding prologue. Um which is just I mean, I think we made we said this when we did Superman too, but this really is this is Godfather for nerds, right? This is yeah, right. Because it's Mario Puzo's co-writing it. Marlon Brando right. is yes, the yes, patriarch yes. of the family. It's nineteen seventies mm-hmm. Hollywood. It begins with a father son monologue, which is basically mm-hmm. the the <laughs> scene from The Godfather between Michael and and Don Corleone and sure. Don Vito. And uh, you know, it's just it's hev- it's literally heavenly. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I mean, of course, this is this is after they've set up the the, the next film and <laughs> the next right. We have the trial. First thing, second things first, and then we go yes. back to this movie. Yes. And I let <laughs> you set know up the sequel first, and then the next thing you know, we cut to yeah. Hey, listen, our tr- our 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 core is kind of fucked up. We gotta leave. It's time to go. And every every time I see this scene now, where Jarrell's talking to the the Krypton elders, I I did the same thing. Is that like this theme of governments ignoring the potential for a global ecological disaster has not dated one bit since nineteen seventy eight. Not for a second. And it makes me think that you don't even need to go as far as Man of Steel did with by adding on, you know, a birth crisis or environmental collapse or no um, yeah I, white I, I power like all that stuff that they layer on to make it seem contemporary i don't you, know you don't what... need it yeah yeah it, it's it's this is it always felt... going to be true governments are always going to try and hide stuff from their people right it's never going to go away and that you know it's funny you say that too because i remember thinking i mean obviously there's you know we'll have maybe a bit of back and forth between yeah these two movies, but I think we talked in the Halloween series where, you know, a father starts talking about the glare that he got from uh, the new Michael Myers kid that was walking along the street. And then the director shows you 
chose chooses to show you all of that. Yeah. And I and I had said at the time we kind of joked about the idea of, uh, you know, uh, everyone knows don't show tell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and but in film it can work, and Definitely. you see the difference between this movie and what you know the the next movie yeah. tries to do, because it's so effective to have Marlon Brando staring at Terrence Stamp and saying, you've committed treason Mm -hmm. and see what that does to Stamp and what it does to his cohorts and then have them go fly off into the Phantom Zone as opposed to seeing literally everything he does to to be villainous in a 25-minute setup. Well, we'll have have to talk about that because, you know, I'm I'm a big proponent of your memory, but your memory... Of of how long we're on Krypton in Man of Steel is wrong, my friend. I know why you think what you think, but you're wrong. I'm not wrong. What are you talking about? We're on Krypton more in this movie than we are in Man of Steel. I'll I'll admit this. <laughs> I will. What, you'll say... admit to to time being a thing. What, what do you mean? I'll admit to that. I... It's an it's an empirical fact, Mike. I will say. <laughs> I, I looked that... at the time on each. I one. know. I did too, but but I'm hey, and not I'm not wrong. defending Man of Steel here. I I, yeah, I fully not, admit to feeling that way. <laughs> I am not wrong about Man of Steel. No, I'm wrong about this movie, because I I always thought that this movie was so efficient that we were off the planet in like ten to fifteen minutes, and I'm wrong about that. That like you're on the planet just as long. Yeah, but what you're seeing is better. Oh my God! Yes, I mean. Don't 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 get me wrong. Okay. Um, but it well both movies are exactly the same length and and they leave Krypton about the same time. But yeah. Um, and something that just again there's so much simple stuff done well here. Mm-hmm. Even the idea of like how do we show that they're an alien race? And sometimes it is as simple as couple of hula hoops <laughs> yeah right. loom like day gl- like day glow mm-hmm. ultraviolet clothing lots of red and i'm just it's like simple and it made me think well that immediately says to me that they're different they're from another planet but it also made me think why does this go wrong so often why do why do you see so many alien races in in film and television and think I don't. They don't look alien. They don't seem alien. Sure, right. Because it seems very. This make movie makes it look very easy. So what I found interesting was that, again, kind of, you know, going back to Man of Steel, that planet looks more like a planet that we would recognize. You know what I mean? There's water. There's hills. There's this like, planet. It looks like Mordor to me. But go go ahead. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> But but what's interesting is that I noticed in this movie that it doesn't it doesn't look like a planet in which human beings could inhabit. Hmm. And so in that way it lends to your argument yeah. that they're they're aliens, <laughs> that Completely. they're different than us. And I think and that's, that's what I liked and what I think works about it. I think that that's deliberate and it's really funny cuz I I do remember reading about 
Richard Donner recalling a conversation with Marlon Brando about how he wanted to play Jarrell, and his initial ideas was that he wanted to play Jarrell as if he was a sea cucumber. That sounds like him. Yeah. <laughs> and Richard Donner <laughs> had to kind of talk him down on that ledge. But yet, at a micro level, he it kind of is like he's playing it like a sea cucumber. Yeah, yeah you can see where that was his inspiration. Because it doesn't, it doesn't feel. None of this feels human, and that that seems like such a hard thing to do in sci-fi. But when you analytically break it down, it's like it's just a matter of a few props, yeah. and a little bit of weird lighting, and suddenly, well, it feels completely um, alien. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, is it, it? Why is it so hard for everyone else? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know either. But I, you know, I, I also noticed that this movie was re- one thing I really loved that I didn't remember is this conversation between Jorel and his wife, Laura. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. And when they're th- talking this... about the pros and cons of sending Superman to our world. It's so great. And you know what? It's, it's... so efficient. It's such efficient dialogue. Yeah. That well, shows that actually reveals character, but also, I mean, in such a short time. Character difference, right? Is, yeah, exactly. You immediately get the sense of how these two people are different, how they're, how they're different kinds of parents. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember that's why it makes me think of, of the similar scenes in the other movie. Yeah, right. That seemed to drone on forever. Well, you, it, it's really interesting because, the, you know, there's. There is an efficiency about the screenwriting in this movie, and then other times they take their time. They take their time over scenes that probably shouldn't take so long, and yet com- mm-hmm. they completely earn. You know, one earns the other, right? It's, it's sort of yeah, like right. one hand washes the other when it comes to that. So sure. you don't mind it when it takes its time because you know it's capable of of a, a ruthless efficiency when it needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And it also, to me, it gets in front of that idea that that Superman, um, obviously, it wasn't the first choice to have Susanna York come back as Superman's mother and be the one who communicates to him. It was a rewrite right. following Brando's exit and Donna's exit. But to me, the idea that she's a weak alternative, this whole scene blows that because, yeah, in this, yeah, si- right, in exactly. this situation yeah. that Superman's facing... That's definitely the person you want to talk to, right? She's the one mm-hmm. who understands that dilemma. Because yes. we see it here. She's talking Far about more, like he's going right. to be alone. He's going to be, you know, an out- he's going to be an outsider. He's going to be an outsider. He's going to be to him about different. He's going to be an outcast. Yeah. yeah. And that's what she's talking talking to him about in Superman 2. So it, it adds up to me in a way that people don't. A lot of people don't seem to see. They just don't see like don't give that don't give its sequel credit for. Right, because they just know that it And maybe it just because it was choice. right, exactly, because it wasn't the first choice. Still, I was just going to say. But it still say. works. But and they're doing all the groundwork here. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, while we're at it, they are they're always every single scene in this film is seeding a franchise. Like nothing is just the scene right. itself there's mul- it, multiple movies in the wake of every scene in this in this film yeah right. which is what makes it extra special i think special right yeah, yeah. um cuz you can see that vision throughout it 
you, you can yeah. see that Donner had ideas. I mean, they're not all as overt as the very first scene that you see with, with the you know with with General Zod and mm-hmm. you know it, it it it's it's not that overt always. Yeah, and but it's always purposeful. Oh, completely. Yeah, there's no there's no waste there's no wasted time in this film, but. It it, it 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 allows itself to take its time and justify doing justify the choice to do that when it needs to mm-hmm. um for instance you know i think we get to earth faster than than the than we do in the titles of superman 2 i mean it's this yeah, the sequence right. of of, sup- of uh, superman flying to earth in like with a musical accompaniment that sounds like he's going through the asteroid field in the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, um, of course. Again, John Williams has one score. John Williams <laughs> dipping into that one score. But um, I, I'll push back on that because I, you know, the main theme and it's you not know, a like the Otis music. It's, no, I understand. Yeah, I understand. It's not a, yeah. This is but, my favorite John Williams score by a mile. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some really iconic shit in here. Everything, it's so good. Like, everything... Everything clicks in the music, I think. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone's theme, every theme yeah. for something is the right piece of music for that. For that theme, From, yeah, like, right. Krypton to Otis, you know? From soup yeah. to nuts. <laughs> Fucking you know love what I mean? Like, music. it's I like if, if, it. if someone said, "Okay, you took you took the score, like you you turn the sound off and you watch Ned Beatty like walk through the streets of New York." Go, what music That's... accompanies that? You go, ba 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 da. Like you just naturally would do that. You wouldn't need to. Maybe that's what Joe Williams did. He just went around and asked, "What music follows that guy around?" Because it's so it's so true. Um. Well, uh, I mean, you want to take a little break? <laughs> well, we're off Krypton. An interlude. <laughs> I was going to say, we're off Krypton, and we're about to get to Little Boy Penis, so it seems like the perfect spot. And you haven't heard enough about that on the regular feed. You need no, to go to Patreon nah, for it. Nah. <laughs> We've talked more about Little Boy Penis than there is Little Boy Penis. In the movies. In, in either of these films. <laughs> I did write down a note that says "little boy penis!" exclamation point. Yeah, it's arrived. Well, I think we talked about it at the time. I think at the time we talked about the the mistake was repeating the mistake, not yeah. <laughs> like the first mistake it is is sort if of like if you're gonna recap yeah. <laughs> the Superman the movie, why would you yeah. choose to show the little yeah. boy penis? The, second the problem time? is showing it twice. I think. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break, and uh, obviously for Patreons, it'll be... Depending on how much money you spend, you'll either get an ad or not get an ad. And then you can think about the choices you've made. You've made, exactly. (laughs) We'll be right back. And we're back from a very short break for some of you. Dom and I are here discussing Superman the movie, the 1978 film directed by Richard Donner. All right, Tom. When last we left, we left Krypton. 
That's right. <laughs> and and uh, now we're on Earth. And we're on Earth. Um, I thought it was interesting given how much christian allegory there is in this series yeah, there really is huh? it, it's right there from the beginning like baby superman does a little crucifix pose yeah right <laughs> and it makes me it, it makes me want to be uh um more generous to the later directors of the series who <laughs> yeah it's like you were getting this from somewhere yeah and it's <laughs> it's when he takes two steps out of his star machine yeah <laughs> i know uh, it's uh, it makes me think. Uh, you know, you just there has to be an amnesty on that because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, if you start with that, yeah, if we, if we gave you shit in it's... previous episodes, <laughs> we are forgiven. <laughs> That's on us. On the uh, on the other hand, um, we get evidence that, unsurprisingly, Superman Four was wrong about Clark being a football star. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Clearly, a kit man here, not a football player. Not at all. Uh, but again, I guess it's no surprise to anyone that Golan Globus didn't do their research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, "You Americans, you like sport, right?" Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I talk about a? Uh, you know, I mean, since we have both of these movies, can I talk about a fundamental difference between them with you? Do this you... is chronological. Yeah, the chronolo- the the chronology. Yeah, like like a normal person like would a... write it. <laughs> okay, thank you. So we're on the same page. Never mind. Moving yeah. on. We'll get we'll get there. All right. Flash. I think I think fla- the. Well, I don't like flashback storytelling as a. In, as a general, general rule. As a general rule, but if you're gonna do it, then it has to save you time down the line mm-hmm. instead of add more time down the line when you desperately need it. And that's, you know, that's more what Man of Steel is I think, guilty of. I, I think it can be used effectively. I think of Yeah. I, I think agree. I think of that first season. The whole of film noir, for instance. Yes, the whole of film noir. <laughs> I think of that first season of uh... oh, shit. Oh, don't say lost. Yeah, I was gonna say of lost. Oh fuck. No. I, I, I I like how showing what happens in the past informs the decisions they're making on the island. I always liked that. For future reference, if you're trying to convince me of something, never speak of a lost. J, a JJ Abrams, a J. J. Abrams I should have fucking known. What was I thinking? <laughs> God damn well, it! Lost is one of his lesser sins, but still. Um, no, I just I all I said was the first season. Yeah, I no, I agree. Uh, I think you know this is the this is the this is the right way to do it, and if you're gonna switch it up, uh make it work for you yeah make it make the story make more sense not less not less sense thank you yes <laughs> uh yeah they i mean they get through so much life story so efficiently mm-hmm. and i think that's the model whether it's chronological or not that's the model for other films and yeah. also you know and brief touching on things briefly enough to leave room for spin-off right mm-hmm. think about that early part of clerks of clerks clark's life Kevin Smith's clerk's life. Um, <laughs> like, we, you know, we, we we go through his relationship with Lana and Brad. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, that leaves, that's efficiency that, by definition. Yeah. 
You know? And that's, you know, that's franchise building because then we go back into that in Superman 3. Of course. And then there's a whole TV series about this part of Clark's life. And right. We haven't, we haven't exhausted any of this material yet. Mm-hmm. But yet there's enough, they're planting the right seeds in the right places. Right. Because when I saw this, I was like, oh yeah, of course we're going to go back to Lana at some point. Mm-hmm. And of course Brad's going to be in the middle of that. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. And that's what happens. Yeah. And, and it's not uh, even until the third movie in the franchise. Yeah. Um, by the way, Brad is in three is a very logical extrapolation of who that man would be at that I, age. I swear to God, I thought the same thing. I thought the same exact thing. That was my note. Yeah. Um, even down to casting. Yeah, completely. You know? I mean, yeah, that, that guy is going to... I wish we could have gone... <laughs> I wish that we could have uh, used the time machine so that we saw Brad as an old man and it was Dan O'Hurlihy. So it went through this guy, Gavin O'Hurlihy, and then Dan O'Hurlihy. Right. Yes, of course. Um, and I find it really interesting, and again, this is con- contrasting with Man of Steel, is that like both Superman's parents, adopted and natural, are completely idealized, and his relationship with them is is completely idyllic. Mm-hmm. And that makes the tragedy greater. Yeah, right. Like, the lack the lack of dysfunction in their... Rela- I mean, you can't really have a dysfunctional relationship with <laughs> as a baby with, with a man. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, everything that both sets of parents do is idealized, but I think it really helps the movie. Mm-hmm. Because you feel and that I, absence. I, you know, yes. And I, I... I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair. I don't think I am being unfair. Fuck it. I don't care. You know, <laughs> when, when I when I look at that Man of Steel movie, I kept thinking, mm. there seems to be a lot of millennial angst oh, writing yeah. in that movie. And it's just a wrinkle, right? It doesn't it, change yeah, anything. Yeah, it doesn't change anything. And it's not doing anything to make the movie more interesting. You, you know? I mean, you compare side by side those see the scenes of, uh, Glenn Ford as, yeah, as Mr. Kent, um, and Kevin Costner in Man of Steel. And you, you cinematically couldn't get two different scenes that were filmed differently. Right. And this here, the, the strength of this is this one unbroken, tracking shot of the two of them talking oh, where the emphasis it, is on the words and the acting and it's absolutely beautiful and it's great I mean, it's, it's it so good every time yeah i have um, the same note where well i think i told you off air that i i watched one of these movies first and it was the one mm-hmm. that i knew i was not gonna like quite as much yeah and so when I came to this movie and saw that scene, and like you, I'm the same way. I have seen all of the sequels of the Superman movies far more than I've seen this movie. Yeah. And I, I I, am certain that I saw this movie in the theater, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have a strong memory of it. Right. And Not like a, a, the strong memory I have, because I would have been really young, but I have a stronger memory of seeing Star Wars the year before. Okay. You know, yeah. And I mean, so but but to, to your point, when I saw that scene, it kind of took my breath away as to how yeah, it, well time, done it time. is. It's so good. 
and you know his his death and then the cemetery scene afterwards there's clearly there's more going on here than just these people right it's like mm-hmm. it feels like hollywood itself is dying yeah <laughs> it's like an elegy because you have that incredible crane shot Mm-hmm. of the cemetery like going up from the cemetery, from the cemetery like, and it looks so 1940s it look it yeah it and it, the landscape looks like a i was Hollywood getting Western. some citizen kane vibes yeah and glenn obviously i mean it's no coincidence right it's glenn yeah. ford in the ground yeah and it, you know i think there is this sense of like you know hollywood's uh you know hollywood's great stars are uh, passing the studio era's over mm-hmm. like i think that's all tied up in here that's what it makes me think of and some of those vistas that richard donner does i don't know if he gets credit for this but it's like you know worthy of john ford some yeah. of these shots i mean i don't think john ford would have put a cheerio box in the foreground of the shot but, you know, <laughs> i have that's... the same note i you know we talked a lot when we talked about superman 2 and the product placement and i was like oh cheerios timex there's a real this, game it started of one... here <laughs> It started here, yeah. Yeah. But there's a real game of one-upmanship when it comes to product placement in the series. Uh, right. <laughs> and it's one of the ways in which I wish we'd followed it, like, chronologically. Because <laughs> in actually... the next movie, he's smashing into things like the sides of Marlboro trucks and into Coca-Cola-lighted yeah. signs in Times Square. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's like a reverse Western because Clark goes north. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in the West and he goes north. Um, and you know they set it sets up one of the most recurring locations of the franchise, which is the the fortress, the of, fortress solitude of solitude, that's created by these crystals. Mm-hmm. Um, of which it turns out, at least in Superman Four, he has an unlimited supply of. Uh, but definitely seems like there's one of them here. Yeah, because it was interesting because you watch Marlon Brando lay all these crystals, and then the very important green crystal yeah. in in the starship. But it seems to be the only one that matters is the green crystal, which is the one yeah. calling to him in the bottom of the barn when he realizes but he again, must well, go north. Go. Oh, but, but, you know, logically there could be others. So maybe we yeah. need to give Superman focus for free to break. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I was going to say, it seemed to me that the only one he brought was yeah, the green I know. crystal. Yeah. But uh, maybe it gave birth If you to... found visual evidence that Superman 4 is a better movie, right. I'm going to jump on that. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, Bra- I love Brando's floating head. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was a gift to that Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 that he digitized his face before dying. Right. <laughs> I mean, what a, what luck. <laughs> You've already put this into motion, this idea of Brando's floating head. And there's a whole digital program that's just Brando's face. Sure. Doing stuff, like recording all his mannerisms. So you can recreate that without the actor being alive. It's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. that you know, that's the luckiest thing that's ever happened in cinema. That's great. And we get, I get, we get another time lapse at this point. Well, yes, um, and... Again, it's the attitude of like let's let's do passage of time efficiently, but interestingly. But interestingly, like yeah. It, we're watching something happen, and we're you know we're really getting through the years. <laughs> yeah, very impressive. But it, you know, it, and it has a great payoff too, because with this, you know, we talked in the past with the say the Spider-Man movies. 
They had to wait a long time for effects to come to a place where Spider-Man could move throughout the city in a believable way. Yeah. And we are so early in 1978. We're talking literally Christopher Reeve on wires. But at the end of this sequence in which he's learning from his father, and then you have Superman in the suit, and he leaves whatever it is, the ice shelf, uh, inside the Fortress of Solitude to start flying. I love that angly movie, The Ice Shelf. Yeah. <laughs> but, Tom, I'll be damned. Less, less known sequ- lesser known sequel to The Ice Storm. <laughs> I'll I'll say, though, that I will be damned because you're looking for it to look bad or awkward or weird, yeah. and it looks great. And it's kind of shot as if, as if it's the kind of modern-day equivalent of the the um the train uh going into the camera in silent cinema yeah right you know the sort of apocryphal tale of everyone ducking Mm -hmm. and then you know the claims that people did the same in 77 with star wars right and it's kind of it's kind of filmed in a way that like you you're not you're not supposed to believe what you're seeing Mm -hmm. and i think it lives up to that hype yeah it's uh and it's our first glimpse of um, Superman. Yeah. Well, followed uh, sure, immediately sure by the before... first glimpse of Clark Kent. And this is where, I think this is where this film absolutely brought me to tears. As soon as Christopher Reeve opens his mouth as Clark Kent. He's perfect. I mean, it's... There's it, it nobody me... that is ever going to do it. <laughs> no. Justice. That's what makes me sad. Yeah. When he opens his mouth, it makes me cry because, first of all, I think about, you know, what a tragic end to his life sure. the actor had. But tied up with that is exactly what you're saying, which is that no one is ever going to get this character the way that Christopher Reeve got this character. I mean, no one's so, going to be able so to, much uh, so that they don't even try. But, well, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, they, they, even with that, they've lowered the bar. Yeah. But, um,. But I can't imagine what it must have been like in 78 where you had no idea who this guy was. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, unless you've been, you know, unless you regularly see theater in San Diego, Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't know who Christopher Reeve was. Right. And so for him to be so perfect, so instantly Mm -hmm. in both roles, but especially Especially Clark Kent. Maybe that's just retrospective because... It just it when when he's playing Clark, Clark Kent, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. The character all makes sense, and it's never made sense since. since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess you know there are not many missteps in this movie, but I think probably one of the missteps is that they didn't just let Christopher Reeve play Clark Kent from the get go. Mm-hmm. They got this this poor kid and. Dubbed him with Christopher Reeve's voice, voice. and made him wear a fake. Yeah, that yeah. felt un- that felt unfair. Made him wear a fake nose, and you know, I mean, that's that's very nitpicky, but it's uh, you know, if you could go back in time and retrofit him into those scenes right. with Glenn Ford, I, I mean, it would be literally a perfect movie. Yeah. Um. It's really interesting that Jimmy's the one who introduces us to the office. Yeah, right. I noticed that. In terms of this series, it's like the, the the movies in this series that know how important Jimmy is as a character. This, Superman 3 and Supergirl are the only ones that know quite how important Jimmy Olsen is to this franchise. 
He doesn't matter anywhere else. Um, Those movies get it. And I love, uh, obviously, we're, you know, it's now we're in the Daily Planet section of the film. Right. And I mean, we're going to get Jackie Cooper. It's the perfect fusion of like 1930s screwball comedy Mm and 1970s urban realism. Like they they're the perfect marriage. Yeah, and you don't, doesn't seem like they would be, right? In no, the, yeah, they don't. In the abstract, they, right. it sounds like it. They, it's not going to yes. work, but it works. You know, th- thinking about them separately, it seems like the, the worst choice you possibly could make. <laughs> I trying know. to meld those two things together. And, you know, I mean, this is gone. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, you know, we we talked earlier, sort of about the the shot that's reused of Superman flying over Earth to end each movie, mm-hmm. and they don't bother even pretending that they're going to do anything. But you, Even Golan Globus you know, didn't mess with it, you know? But yeah, and but there's something uh, within that and what we're talking about now that serializes the movie in a way, that makes it yeah. feel serial, even though this is the first time you're seeing this incarnation of Superman. And that, right. to me, is kind of brilliant, on Richard Donner's part and what kind of sets the movie apart and makes it, you know, something that lasts in my memory longer than, than maybe some other attempts might have. And it's so curious because you keep, you keep another reason why it shouldn't work is you keep darting back and forth between the thirties and the Mm seventies. There's like, you know, they get mugged in an alley, which is like a seventies thing. Right. But the guy doing it is like fucking Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just like it, it's, it feels like there should be cognitive dissidence, but somehow this movie right. makes it all work. Which is to say nothing of the fact that Clark Kent is always wearing his brimmed hat and his he's got his suit and you know his wardrobe by Barney's. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you know, he's always carrying his briefcase, and that it's very recognizably modern day New York. Yeah. And they make no bones There's no about pretense. That. I mean, just... No pretense. Even see, like, the skyline of New York in a photograph. Yeah. In the, in the subway station. And I think we talked about that before, like, how much this series tries to include the Statue of Liberty. And... Yeah. And also Rex Reed, a between... syndicated journalist, right, is, yeah. makes a cameo in this film. So that's yeah, like I saw that. It's a real-life, real modern-day New York right. journalist who works in that building. In that building. In the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is where, I mean, this is... And this, again, is fascinating, and it, it's another area where this movie does something that only this movie seems to succeed at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, we're... We're nearly halfway through the movie, and we haven't even introduced our villains yet. No, I know. I have now the think same of how note. many times we've laid into movies Le- for doing right. shit like that. I have that exact note because, oh, wait, let me find it. You know, I say uh, he catches a bullet, loves the. Jo- we've introduced the villains from the next movie. Right, we've in done detail. that already. So <laughs> I say, fifty-five minutes in, we get Otis and Luther. It doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. And a big part of it, I think, is how efficiently the dynamic between the three yeah. villains is is introduced. Like, you get instantly... I mean, they do it in the opening scene with Zod, Non, and Ursa as well. But, yeah, sure. you know, they've got a little bit of help because it's a courtroom well, scene and you can 
list and that you get, crimes. You get it. You, you get it. Them. It's sort of exposition though, because you get it from Brando, who just clearly yeah. defines who they are as criminals. But here, here, there's no exposition. You just get a sense of what they're. I mean, you right. know, it's acting and writing working on a high level. Yeah. To create these characters, and and you know instantly who they are before you know anything about them. Mm-hmm. Um. And again, everything about Luther's plans in these scenes sets up everything he does from now until from the end. From now until the end. Four. Yeah, exactly. It's all that's all that's on <laughs> this his is mind. A, this this is a franchise build. This isn't a movie in its own right. This is Australia. Oh my god. Um I just I love uh well, I mean Hackman and, and Beatty. So here's here's my thought, right? Mm-hmm. Hackman and Beatty in this film. If ever there was a dual Oscar, yeah, like an right. Oscar that could go to two people at once, sure, <laughs> I would give it to Hackman to and Beatty in this film. It's like they're Laurel and Hardy, but Laurel and Hardy, but Laurel and Hardy in an alternative reality where when they weren't working together, they went off and became Kirk Douglas and Spencer Tracy. It's like <laughs> I can't get my head around it. Yeah, and yet when they're to- when they're together, it's one of the great double acts. Every last bit of it, you can eat like it's candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love... And I mean, it re- it, yeah. Ned Beatty yeah, saying Mr. Luthor. Yeah. That pronunciation. Well, I mean, uh. And this is, an, this is an interesting thing. We talked about this before, you know, the, 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 the myth that the, the difference between Richard Donner and Richard Lester is one is is comic and one one yeah, is right. comedy, one doesn't, and it's just not true. Not true, I right? Mean, you just have to look at Richard Donner's resume to know that he's very effective at doing comedy. But even here, it's not that there's not comedy; it's just that he doesn't dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's frequent- no. It's no opening to Superman 3, I'll no. tell you that much. Well, the, all the, like, if ever there's physical comedy, it's all in camera. We never yeah. cut to it. Right. We never um, we never use it as a punchline. It's just happening it's in just the middle happening, of the scene. Right. And then even the punchlines, the one-liners, sort of ha- like he suddenly he cuts almost in the middle of the one-liner. <laughs> so that by the time you've heard the line, the scene is over. There are and even... again, I would be like... That's terrible comedy filmmaking. And yet, we're here with these actors. It's perfectly... It's amazing, yeah. yeah I had the same perfect. thought when when, <laughs> when, when Ned Beatty as Otis brings Lex Luthor his robe. I was just going to say the same thing. And when he's, he puts the robe on, and it lasts long enough that you think to yeah. yourself, Shouldn't he be saying something about the robe being in the water? And then that's the moment that Lex Luthor and Gene Hackman comes in and like lays him in, and it's a perfect joke at the perfect time with the yeah. perfect. Pitch. And then Donna cuts like the second that Otis goes, "Ooh," yeah. like that. Like he doesn't even let him finish the sound. Yeah. So I think that's the difference between them. We know, we you know, we know from the other films that we've seen mm-hmm. um, that Richard Lester would make would make the comedy the centerpiece of the scene. And Donna yeah. is... Because there's a ton of slapstick that happens in this movie. I mean, you know, sure. Christopher Reeve is basically a clown, right? He's yeah. sort of... He's like, you know, again, it's like it's like he's Bill Irwin and, you know, Gary Cooper at the same time. It's at it's the like... same time. When he catches that bullet, you, you spoke yeah. of the robbery earlier. 
when he catches that bullet <laughs> yeah. and then pretends to faint and then Lois leaves, but the the wry smile he gives when he, yeah. you know, shows his hand and shows the, I mean, all of it is pitch perfect, which is to say nothing another... of the fact when Lois meets him for the first time with yeah. this, 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 well, I think we're here now, the chopper accident. Well, this is fast. This was fascinating to me. This was a real revelation because we're in the peak era of disaster films. Yeah, right. In the late seventies, um, so this film is not only like launching a new franchise and taking the superhero from, the but it's borrowing. And, but it's borrowing from the movies around it that are popular at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it, when you think about what what are the kind of key films in the disaster genre. You've got Earthquake, The Towering Inferno, mm-hmm. the Airport series. Poseidon. And you look Poseidon at like, Adventure. What Poseidon too, yeah. starring Gene Hackman. Yeah. And um and you're like, Well what what disasters do we see in this movie? An earthquake, earthquake a skyscraper, skyscraper and a plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's no accident. Um but it was a revelation to me that oh, like that's what it's drawing on. Well and, and of to... course no nine no 1970s film set in an urban milieu would be complete with without at least one pimp. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it, I mean, I think it's fun. I, I think it really holds up. You know, he's well, very clearly a pimp, but it's a great. It's bit. damn funny. It's damn funny. It's a great bit, but you also have that lingering feeling of this is the only role available to an African American. Yeah, in well, this we movie, talked about that. You which know, is kind of a bummer, but. I think the problem is that it hasn't changed by 2000 and yeah. whatever. Yeah, you're that, right. That, that's the big right. problem. Like, uh, It's like, if this is the precedent, I don't mind this being the precedent, but let's break from the precedent yeah. of this. But um, I want to... And this s- is the, that moment that, you know, that plays out like it's in a sequel where Superman looks at, at the phone booth. Oh, uh, like the modern that's what I was just going to say. Completely open. I was going to say the joke of, of all great jokes. Like, I just love it. And then he, you know, he looks at it and then, you know, goes to find something else. And it's like, even though this isn't a sequel, it's a lesson to people who make sequels. Exactly. (laughs) It's playing like a sequel, though, you know? Wouldn't that, exactly. And wouldn't that be an amazing Because this is the first time we're seeing him, I mean, we've seen him fly off from, you know, the Fortress of Solitude. But this is the first time we're seeing him change into Superman, taking the suit off, you know, the moment, the iconic moment. I love it. Which I, is to say it. nothing I, of the fact that it's one of the great all-time lines when Lois is falling out of the chopper. Mm-hmm. She's hanging onto the chopper. She starts falling. He catches her. And he has the great line of, don't worry, ma'am, I've got you. And she says, you've got you've got me. Who's got you? Yeah. One of the all-time greatest introduction to from one character to another lines that there's ever been i everything about it just makes me smile and happy it's got all of that and it's also fairly meta as well because Mm -hmm. it's it's making the audience aware that these are like new effects that we haven't seen before like they're literally the characters on screen cannot believe it's happening Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to feel the same uh, then, I mean, he, then he has the great moment about, you know, statistically speaking, of course. Yeah, I love it. the safest. <laughs> which, you know, I'm pretty sure is a rewrite of something that would have been in the original serial. Maybe, um, yeah. A comic, and or comic book. And then, of course, they quote it back in, Super, well, Superman 4 and Superman Returns. Yeah. 
But again, I don't blame them for doing that. It's it's a good it's such you know, a good it, line. It's a you can't improve on it. So why? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, maybe don't. <laughs> maybe yeah. just ignore it. But definitely, you're not going to re- improve uh, on the on the line or the delivery. So mm-hmm. just just keep doing it. And then we go into a super montage. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. We get a we get a little which is it's like a it feels like a catch up, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of like. It's like a screenwriter going, God, we probably should have shown this already. <laughs> <laughs> we should have told you. It's like, we, we haven't told you what Superman does yet. Okay, okay, let's do it all in one scene. Right, exactly. But, it, you know, it's like you you have, you know you have this movie in which you have to introduce this character to the world. I mean, mm. again, but but for the purposes of this series, you know, for this director with these actors... It's an yeah. introduction, but you know Definitely. you got you have to start at Krypton. You know you got to show some of him in Kansas. You got you you've got stuff you got to do right, and so now he's gonna you think yeah <laughs> you've got to you have to he's Zack Snyder didn't get the memo he doesn't get the memo but so he meets the love of his life you know they're gonna work together yeah. and then of course he's already you know he's gonna be messing with Lex Luthor soon. Now, before we get to that and before we get to the heart of the villain of the story and his battle with Superman, let's just show you everything he can do. Let's just just have some fun for a good 10, 12 minutes. And this has one of my favorite, I mean, it's not a scene, it's like a, I don't know, a bit, beat, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) which is, again, it speaks to this, this perfect... Um, perfect uh, fusion of 30s and 70s. There's the little girl who has a cat in the in yeah. the tree, and Superman takes the. It's like a scene. It's like straight out of a Shirley Temple movie, right? Right. And he brings to the cat. She goes inside, and then we hear her mother <laughs> slap the shit out of her. And I was like, <laughs> it's sort of like, there's your 1970s. There's yeah. your 1970s. What have I told you about lying? <laughs> oh my god! It's just, but it is. It's like you know. When you think about how pessimistic movies were in the seventies, yeah, think, of course that's the way that scene's gonna. It end. has to end that way, of it course. It has to end with the kid getting slapped, oh. and I just I love that they they take that beat to remind you that you're in the middle of one of the most depressing <laughs> decades in history ever. <laughs> I mean, the thirties was too, but you wouldn't know it from the movies, right? Yeah, it was all right. about. We're in the money optimism. Yeah. But that's the 70s. We know how shit things are, and we're going to put it on screen. <laughs> which is why, you know, this is skipping ahead, which is why the, in 1978, I would have assumed everyone thought that they'd kill, that Lois Lane would stay dead at the end of the film. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I had the same like, yep, thought. Yep, I've been, it's like, I was like, 10 years of fucking my no- sci-fi my, movies. My... I'm used to this shit. My note was... <laughs> It's a 1978 movie. We're at the end of the 70s. Naturally, they have to make you think Lois is really dead. Well, maybe it was. Maybe in the late 70s, it was an inversion of expectations for for there to be a happy ending in, yeah, a, right. in a science fiction <laughs> film in the 70s. <laughs> but here's an, here's something that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Um. Was it common for movies in the late 70s to have so much soft focus? It's really dreamy. There, There is a lot of dreamy sequences in here, and I kind of noticed the same thing. I mean, I don't remember the French connection the, being like No, this. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 
but I was trying to think if there were other examples. It feels like a choice, and it makes sense with the nostalgia for the 30s, it does, right? Because yeah. that's when that kind of photography was big. Well, that's what I started know. asking myself, though. I said, with the with the sort of blending of of decades that we're trying to get here, was that a thing? I think then? that's what it is. Okay, but but I just you know sometimes you you know sometimes you get these weird fads for certain things and mm -hmm. i was just trying to make sure we weren't in some weird like 3d you know it's like are we in the what, period where everyone's doing soft focus right but then i thought about the films around it and i was like no i don't no, they're not a lot of that <laughs> i don't remember it's quite so much soft focus in serpico or deer or, or the deer hunter <laughs> yeah, <the> deer... <laughs> diddy Mao, what did you say <laughs> excuse me who are you <laughs> um Oh my! We we I think when we did Superman two, we talked about like things that hardcore Superman fans don't like about yeah. the film series, and I think one of them is that, um, although he later reveals himself to be bald, that Luther isn't bald until the very end of the movie. Well, that was just and a Gene, Gene Hackman thing. He's well, he just, didn't want to shave his head, right? He didn't want to, yeah. But doesn't that? Isn't that? I mean, yes, it is. It is just like I fuck you. I ain't doing that. Yeah. And by the way, if Richard Lester's directing, I'm not coming back. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, weirdly, I know that it's just laziness. But weirdly, <laughs> doesn't that tell you more about Lex Luthor? Yes. Right. <laughs> that he doesn't go around with a bald head. Uh huh. And there's then you get a, there's to have an insecurity the... there. There's an insecurity and a vanity yeah. that tells you more about the character than having him bald in every scene would. Right. And then you don't get the fun with the amazing uh, wigs. Oh, I love it when the, Otis... The ambulance oh. driver wig, I think, is my favorite <laughs> Gene Hackman look ever. <laughs> and he's just a little... He's like, he's just Luther, but he's a little more camp when he's got that wig on. And yeah, I think right. Like, he's just, he's adjusting to the wig. You know, yeah. his acting is adjusting to the wig. He's finding the character through the wig. It's, 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 I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's marvelous. Um, oh, that's good. And then next I've got the, the interview scene, which I think is a screenwriting masterstroke, right? We've not met Superman yet. We've met Clark right. Kent. We've not met Superman. What's the most efficient way we can find out about him? <laughs> Have, Have him a reporter. be interviewed on screen. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, um, you know, it's funny because as that scene starts, there is, I just, I, I don't know, you know, some of my notes just kind of have to do with how magical it is to see Superman just sit at a table and answer questions yeah. like a regular Completely. person mm -hmm. and how much it, for lack of a better word, humanizes this alien. Yeah. In a way in which we don't get in any of these other incarnations of the character. Again, it's like, I, it's a deceptively simple device because right. it does so much for you so quickly. Yeah, exactly. It gets a lot of exposition out of the way. It build, it, it does a lot of character development that you would that would take lots of scenes Not just to do for him, though. For her. No, no, for Lois, obviously. Because it's yeah. like she's coyly kind of trying to ask, you know... Um, yeah. I might like to get into your pants. Is that? Are you like a regular man? Can I do that? That's yeah. how it, every question seems to be loaded with. 
What? Well, I gotta say, on the other, you know, on the other side, I don't think the date rape kiss would come as any surprise no, at the yeah. end of Superman Two, seeing how he's X-raying her. No, nope. right? yep, exactly right. Just trying to look. This is the way we do it in the seventies. Yeah, that rapiness is of the. Of I the check out your tush. Is, yeah, I'm not embarrassing you, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you started this. You asked, and then that this is and this is when you know the scene when they fly and obviously leads into can yeah. can you read my mind? But prior to that, uh, I think it's a misnomer to say that the effects hold up because when I look at it, the reason it works is nothing to do with the effects. Mm-hmm. It's how they light and shoot and edit the scene. Right. That makes it seem real. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's got to be technically you've got to be pushing, breaking boundaries to make this happen in the first place. But I, I think it's like if that lighting was a little brighter, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. work. Well, I if think you didn't cut the, away at that yeah. exact moment, it wouldn't feel real in I the same way that it does. The lighting, the shot selection, the editing, all of it comes together in a way because look. Nothing about it makes sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Scientifically, no. Scientifically, yes, yes. it does not make sense. They they both freeze. Oh well, she'd freeze to she death. She would instantly. freeze to death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how how she has her legs back up on the air? You know, all of that. She'd be hanging <laughs> like a limp fish on him. Well, this is but where these we are need questions us you never feel like you have to beyond reason. Yeah, right. These are the questions you never feel like you have to ask yourself no. in this movie because of what Richard Donner is doing. So I agree. And I don't know, you know, it's easy again, it's easy to mock that it turns into a spoken word musical. Mm-hmm. But and I prefer the silence to the narration. Yeah, right. But it feels like something I want to give the movie a a pass on. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like you wanted to, you wanted to have a releasable single attached to this film. I mean, I gotta tell you, that's it's what been a while at the time, right? Since I've seen this movie, and I had forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't diminish the scene in the way that you think it would. Yeah, exactly, and that it absolutely should. It should, yeah. <laughs> and I had also forgotten that Clark shows up right after Superman leaves. I was going to say that, that, you know, it's like that was obviously what Superman 4 was thinking of when they did the the Superman and Clark Kent on a date at the same time. Right. It was an extrapolation of that. It's like, oh, that's the set piece we want to run with. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, go on. Yeah. You, well, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, let's take a break and we'll come right back. All right. Sound good? Talk about Larry Hackman. Oh, yeah. That was another surprise. <laughs> we need to do like a BuzzFeed style article. Ten things about Superman the movie really that you forgot me. were in it. Yes. I think amazing. we could easily do ten, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the last one would just be Larry Hagman. Yeah. No explanation. We'll come back and tell you about that probably in seconds for you. We'll be right back. You cheapskates are going to have to wait just a little bit longer. (laughs) 
And we're back again, finishing up with Superman the movie. Is it an exclamation point? No, no. Okay. Wash your mouth out with soap. It just looks like it in my writing. Okay. <laughs> Colon. <laughs> the the top is just like... a little too long <laughs> in my writing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So now you're just excited about you're excited about it. Yes, absolutely. Like everything else in this movie. Yeah, I you know it's uh, I I guess the one question I have for you. uh, I love this scene, which is where I'm at now, where Lex Luthor kind of figures out about the kryptonite. Yeah, and again, tons of seems pretty easy though, doesn't it? You wouldn't know it. You know, it's like yeah, played pretty close to the chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. I can't, but this, what's amazing to me, and I was going to say this before the break, is that given that this and Superman 2 were filmed back to back, it's pretty poor that we have the same joke of stepping on Otis's hand on the ladder. Hand? Like, yeah. It's, those are the kind of things that when you film two movies back to back, you should immediately eliminate, right? That kind of repetition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they must have known when they were filming it because remember Gene Hackman didn't even come back when they were reshooting. Yeah, Superman right. Too. It, it, did it? Did no one say? I think we've done this like very recently. <laughs> like, wasn't it yesterday? Wasn't it yesterday we did this. <laughs> um, and they're reading. You know, they're reading the interview and all of Vera's claims about learning about kryptonite in the in the interview mm-hmm. is completely wrong <laughs> yes exactly no one rewatched this movie when they were writing the subsequent movies nope yeah it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal scene with some with some truly great dialogue everything with these three i mean miss Ta- oh, well, we there's... talked about hackman and beat miss tessmacher is uh outstanding lover outstanding love her and it's a shame you know she has a real arc in this movie and then the next movie yeah again completely resets it reset yeah it starts all over and that's a real lack of attention to detail i think that Mm -hmm. they you know they i guess i guess that's a serial quality isn't it the bad guys always go back to being the bad guys even if they become the good guys in previous even if they yeah right but (laughs) the performances are too good for that kind of yeah uh simplicity i think well we figure that out and then like you said it's larry hagman time and my note is you know it's the 70s because well (laughs) i i wrote larry hagman he will molest an injured woman (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's how you know it's the 70s it's again it's the perfect marriage of of uh the the actor and what they're known for, right? So it's like it's like what do we need? Vigorous <laughs> chest scene? massage and mouth to mouth. We need. It's like what do we like? We, we need to cast someone to play this part. Who do we get? It's like well, what we need is a 1960s sitcom star who knows how to do this well. <laughs> yeah. So they went to I Dream of Genie's Larry Hagman. I Dream of Genie. And Call he him up. Does what he's asked to do, and it's phenomenal. <laughs> Also, I don't know, like all the missile shenanigans, like the fact right. that Superman Four has so many of these, it's just like Luther it's needs another plan. Pretty funny. I have that note. 
Yeah, exactly. Something that doesn't involve <laughs> missiles. I I wrote down. It's funny that I had forgotten that his original plan in, involved missiles. <laughs> you'd think that what I wrote. I you'd think that Superman Four, the Quest for Peace, would have remembered that. But of course, you know they they um they uh, double down on the Lex Audio Channel by making it Lex TV and Superman Four. Mm-hmm. Big difference. That's true. It's not the same set piece at all. Um, (laughs) It takes so long to steal these missiles. It's like in an otherwise efficient movie that literally... It's a a tiny restacking, isn't it? I mean, it it depends on these three actors to make it worthy Mm -hmm. of the amount of screen time we're spending on it. Right, and they yeah. don't let you down. I mean, lit- they don't. They they don't fuck that up. Lit- That's true. Literally, my <laughs> favorite moment of of acting between Hackman and Beatty is when they're both wrestling each other. When right. when Otis is re trying to read his uh, the notes he made on his arm. Yeah, <laughs> there's something about that moment that gets me every time. I think again, it's it's because like Donna puts it right at the end of the scene. And it cuts on, uh-huh. so it sort of ends. It, it ends yeah, right. in the chaos, and that chaos is what's funny about it. <laughs> um, the uh, so and then so this after, once these missile shenanigans are done, and it takes a long time for them to steal yeah. these missiles. Uh, the, then they that's when they do the audio channel and they lure Superman. They lure Superman in, and that drill effect is amazing. It's so good, and isn't I it? bet it's really simple. I bet it's just trick photography. I don't mm-hmm. think it's like cutting edge. I, I mean, I don't. When I look at no, it, yeah. I think like it looks really good, but it doesn't look like they needed anything that they wouldn't have had in like 1945 to do it, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's just filmmaking. Um, yeah, and it makes me wonder why people aren't don't use those kind of photographic effects now because they look so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, you're right, <laughs> and we're right, but I think there's a certain group of people that don't realize we're right. Yeah. I mean, they had rotoscoping in the 30s, you know? It's not... This yeah. is not new technology. It's about how you use it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Costa del Lex... Um, it's interesting that Lex's real estate plans pretty much what happened in California real estate since the film was made, except I know. no one put no one put the land into the sea or anything like yeah. that. It just happened. You didn't have to. Yeah. Reagan took care of that. <laughs> decades of capitalism on top of it. Sure. Oh, I and something that I haven't mentioned so far is the Superman Repertory Company, which is in full force from the very beginning. Sure. Here we get John Ratzenberger. The... I saw. I have. The, I have a. I have a note here. The Ratzenberg sighting. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like the a, same. I think like it was Pixar my same movie. note. <laughs> yeah, it was my same note from The Empire Strikes Back. You know. Well, that's the other thing that it is a. It is a, um, Pinewood kind of. Yeah. Right. Like a British British studio system. I mean, I I just love seeing the same. The same handful of British under fives and extras. Sure, there's there's a guy there's like a guy who plays one of the reporters and he's he's non-speaking. He he's an actor called Larry Lamb who's very popular from 
British sitcoms and soap operas, and I love see he's in. Uh-huh. I think he's in all three of the super of the. He's in the first three Superman movies for sure. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Um, and also one of the guys that Superman's arrests, one of the cat burglars, is a guy called Oz yeah. Oz Clark, who is a who would later become the window guy or. He's a kind of a he's like a rat ratish looking guy. Okay. And he's uh, one of the boat guys then. Yeah, one of the boat guys, and he's um, yeah. He he was later a TV wine specialist throughout the nineties oh, and wow. early two thousands. So whenever I look at that, it reminds me that yeah, this is a this is a British <laughs> mate. <laughs> no better sign than that. We also get the tanker captain from Superman three. Hanging out. Uh, in the same scene as Ratzenberger, so there you go. Oh wow, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Okay, he's wearing glasses, so you know, in this franchise that tends to fool people. <laughs> and um, once the uh, once the missile is launched, uh, obviously Miss Test. Well, but first yeah, we, we get to, we you do... know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about kryptonite, you yeah, know, or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, well, I'm, ki- also, I'm kidding. I'm just, kidding. I've skipped, I like skipped over dynamic. a major plot point. <laughs> I really like the dynamic between Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman. I think they're Stunning. good together. They're so, you know. And it's not overplayed at all. No, yeah, exactly. Like, there's a That's weird I... sense of mutual respect there that I don't think you'd get with another two actors. Yeah, but what's interesting to me is that Christopher Reeve is at the beginning of his career, mm-hmm. and Gene Hackman as an actor, he wasn't giving people at the beginning of their careers a lot of credit. From what I understand, yeah. it's stories. I oh heard. no, I I don't mean with the actors. I mean the characters. I mean there's like a sense. No, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I in my but, memory, you know, that's... it's it's. I think it's a testament to to how good Gene Hackman was as an actor that you never get any sense on screen of the disdain he might have yeah. or lack of patience he might have with somebody off screen. Absolutely. And my, my flawed memory of this film was that Superman was kind of befriended by Lex Luthor. And he oh, was wow. this kind of naive young buck who didn't get that he was trying to ensnare him in a trap. And I think that's just because they're both playing it in a complex way where there is that sense of like i mean definitely that naivety is there you know he he walks into his own demise um yeah and it you know and again you know someone who understood humanity better wouldn't necessarily fall for that um yeah but just something something about their interaction which is like well there's some hubris there too yeah. there's some oh definitely yeah you know i mean i have that note when he's doing the interview with with lois you know, oh, completely. Yeah, he, you know, you you gave up that you can't see yeah. through lead. He's a little bit. You might want to catch. He's a little might bit. Play, you might play. put your cards a little close to the the chest there next time. He, right? He's already firmly in doucheman territory at this point. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of doucheman, I also loved Otisburg. By Otisburg, the way, Otisburg is such. And again, <laughs> it, like there's so many. Basically, all of Otis's the Otis's comedic moments are throwaway. Mm-hmm. Imagine having the luxury to do that. Imagine yeah, having right. a character so funny that right. you can just you, you can just fire them off. Add bits. Yeah, just add bits. Oh my god. Um, 
Yeah, and this is yeah, this is where Miss Tessmacher sort of you know sees the error. Her arc comes yeah, to yeah, sees the error yeah. of her ways, and if they'd have stuck with it, it would have been really nice. But it looks a little shallow in retrospect. Um, well, you know, she's also wearing all white, so you get the you get the that nineteen seventies. Yeah, we're gonna see some bra. <laughs> you'll true. see you'll see her great beautiful boobs. <laughs> And she's going to say, why can't I make it with a nice guy? Yeah. You know, that kind of. Um, so it's going to be titillating. And when when he's released from the kryptonite, goes off to the missile. This is our first instance of Superman using space as his personal trash can. Yep. But in the original movie, as it was envisioned, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, well, it, would, it wouldn't It would have happened twice. It would have happened here. Mm. And then that would have released Zod and Nan and Ursa. Yeah, I had that note too. I, I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, that was what was supposed from the to second happen. movie. If I had read something, I, 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 my note was, why isn't this the thing that releases them? Well, it from was their prison. <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> was, and then they changed it to the, uh, to the elevator, the, the elevator on the Eiffel Tower, which has a bomb, <laughs> a bomb in it made from a car radio. Which is the, the yeah? It doesn't sound as powerful as this <laughs> nuclear weapon, does it? <laughs> when you when you say operated it operated by Richard Griffith. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, He'll not be going. <laughs> and again, you know, so much of this film is through the eyes of Jimmy's camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see all the all the 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 dam him uh-huh. so he's our he's our eyes in this film i guess that makes sense because he's a photographer mm-hmm. um and some of this do pre- you love yeah, go on well i was gonna ask do you love because there's you know i'm thinking about friend of the show matthew aldrich mm-hmm. and him talking about his kids and watching movies from this time and they can't even see the paramount logo without groaning about how stupid God, this movie is already this movie would wouldn't go down well right but i you know i keep thinking about are we are we still the old man just shaking our fists on the lawn trying to convince people about the sort of model work i was just gonna well you know you know it's interesting because yes to all you just said (laughs) um we are we are old men yelling at clouds we know but we know this this is not news but I think we're right. And we shouldn't still. waste the Patreon people's time with this kind of. All right. So, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I, I actually, so I have two thoughts. One is there's a lot of impressive practical model work here that is undeniable, yeah, like right. the dam flooding. Um, mm. but then there's models that look like models. Yeah, like, like they look like the scale that they are, and it you know it's. But it's, they don't bother me. They still no, give me no, kind this of. Is, the, we've talked about the warm and fuzzies before. I'm like, but this I is like the it. this is the the peril of doing practical model work. That as soon as you lose that sense of scale, even for a second, for, it yeah, immediately looks like what it is, which is a miniature. And yeah. if you watch Hitchcock's movies from the 30s, and some argue that you know he he was playing it up for to be funny. But mm-hmm. the models at the beginning are just it's like it's like a model railroad or something, and you can even see like yeah. a stage hand pushing the car to make it go uh, down the street. <laughs> sure. So, but yeah, I and I like you find that charming, 
But yeah, if, you, if you're being ruthless and saying, you know, what effects hold up and what doesn't, not all of the practical model work does. But some of it is great. Some of it is very convincing. I wrote down glorious rock model work. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. But that's that. those are the parts where it really looks like a model. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're like, how far away is the camera supposed to be from that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Lois dies, and because it's a 70s movie, you think that that's the end of the film. Um, <laughs> you think it's going to end get... with Superman crying into space, and then just yeah. this electronic distortion as we zoom away from the planet. <laughs> But no, there's a there's a final twist in the works. One that also right. irritates the fuck out of hardcore Superman fans, right? This is a the turning back time. Well, and Jor-El. <laughs> his, his face is going to show up in the clouds and say, Knock it off! <laughs> what the hell do you think you're doing? Well, let's say, I mean, it's, that's interesting because where does that play in the Christian allergy? It's like... You know, yeah. in Christianity, God wasn't going, no, don't resurrect the dead. <laughs> you know, uh, right. he, was, he was a big part of it. Um, yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you think about it in general? It's a, it's a topic of controversy for, um, I have thoughts, but what you do know, you think? You know, I always just remember thinking, when, like when I first saw the movie, that that's what happened. You know, like they made that choice. It's it just was what a, happened. Like, like it was a simpler time, wasn't it? I remember. I remember. Yeah, going, exactly. I remember going to films and just and TV shows as well. Like I'd watch an episode of the Time Tunnel and I'd be like, "Great, no questions." Right. <laughs> Why do they get their clothes back so, by the beginning of the next I think, episode? I don't know. I don't yeah, care. Right. It's just what happened. <laughs> I think the problem they run into and why they why you can give this movie shit is why wouldn't you do that Every whenever time. something doesn't go your way? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it yeah. there's never a discussion or any kind of talk about what that might do to planet Earth. Like, you can only get away with it once, yeah. and then you start fucking some shit up in the core or something. You know, I don't know. It, some some yeah. sciencey stuff. It occurs to but... me that it's a much more egregious extra superpower than anything that Superman does in Superman 2 that everyone hates. Like, compared yeah, right. to him throwing his... Throwing his symbol. Throwing his symbol and appearing in different places simultaneously. Or like, and the date rape kiss, I'm like, this is... More outlandish than that. You know what else was funny to me when I watched this movie? Superman 2, when he's creating doubles of himself, and he looks at Lois and says, we used to play this game when I was a kid. I thought, where? When? In Kansas? (laughs) What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Who did you play this game with? Because I don't think you had time to play it on Krypton. No. (laughs) (laughs) There was, that 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 could potentially mean that there was even more little boy penis. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it's fine. I, I mean, yeah, up all over the place. That's that's it. Look, it it does doesn't it doesn't bump me the way it bumps some people, but I think yeah, it does. I think it both doesn't drive me nuts. Are, are valid, but yeah, it doesn't ruin the movie as it does for, pe- for some no, people. No, yeah, exactly. Um, 
It's interesting that Lois. But I, and yeah. I, you know, I can make a character argument for it, in the sense of this alien has found the love of his life on planet Earth, and he'll do anything for her, including that. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, he's just he's making good on Cher's promise. <laughs> yeah, right. Cher was not brave enough to go through with it. He is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love that Lois nearly figures it out that he's Clark Kent and then Do you? second guesses It herself. seemed like a pretty big leak, leap of logic to me. Well, it felt like another moment where they were setting up the sequel, right? Cuz Yeah, it at does. At the beginning of the of Superman 2, I you know, at the beginning of Superman 2, she's she's already suspicious. Mhm. And so it feels like we plant the seed here and then we follow it up in the, in the next. Pl- but at this point in the movie, with how much she's seen him, yeah. she could say that about anybody except Jimmy. <laughs> you know what I mean? He could say, she could say I the don't same. Know, it's, Perry, it's, it's, she again, could say Perry like, White is never here. I feel it's a good it's a good counterpoint to people who, you know, make the 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 classic 1980s stand-up joke of, you know, how you just put on a pair of glasses and you're yeah. Clark Kent. You know, you go from Superman to Clark Kent. Not just that, though, Tom. The part. Yeah. The part and the and hair. The fact that he's in, and the fact that, as played by Christopher Reeve, he's a completely different human being. Yeah, that's, that's what true. Sells it. That helps. <laughs> um, and then, then Luther and Otis are carried to prison. Where it is, yeah. it is revealed that Lex Luthor is in fact bald. Is actually bald, <laughs> and then, you know, again, it's like working as if it's a serial because this is exactly where and how we find them in the next film. Mm-hmm. So they're clearly already thinking of this as an ongoing story. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but I also noticed uh, one thing that doesn't age well is when he's talking to the warden. And he says, we're both on the same team here. And you think about all the bad stories you've heard about evil wardens. and Doesn't he say something about everybody? Young, young boys? Or is that in Superman 4? I don't think it's here. Okay. I think, oh, I know what it is. It's uh, Lenny in Superman 4. Yeah. Okay. He's, yeah. He takes him to the to Boys Town and says something yeah. that's vaguely pedophilic. <laughs> but that doesn't happen here. Um, but I just I love <laughs> I think like to me the when Luther pulls off his wig mm-hmm. it's as an important a moment as like the first time we see Superman change or the first time we see him fly no, like I feel the same way. It's just, it's sort of like but added to the fact that it's like an inversion of that because everyone knows he's bald by this point, right? We've seen the wigs <laughs> we've seen all the wigs sitting in his uh changing room and he, you know, throughout right. the movie. But the idea is like you know he's just not willing to admit it to himself. Mm-hmm. I just I think again it's like you don't have to go overboard with the darkness of the character to make them interesting. They're already a villain. No, yeah. Just right. just throw some. And I think they do. And I was actually I was surprised how many times he actually is killing people in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Oh well, the, those cop that cop gets uh, Get, gets, gets his ass gets it good. Him. Yeah, big time. <laughs> that's not a nice death. <laughs> that's a gr- going back to that. It's a great moment where they're chasing Otis through the subway station. It's like these two recognizably nineteen seventies cop chasing this nineteen thirty stereotype through the subway right. station. Yeah. Um. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, and then that's all I have apart from Superman looking into the camera at the end of the film. And, and flying off, as he always will. sign off, yeah. Basically, now, like, uh, like a... I have some questions for you, but first, do you have a credit check? Yes, I do. Luckily, right. we've gone through some of it because it is lengthy. But these are lengthy yeah. credits. <laughs> it's a good... Uh... I actually have a credit note. Okay, go ahead. It always seems that everything is divided into Team USA and Team Canada. <laughs> because, because racism. They'll label... <laughs> Yeah, they label something, a, a particular department. Yes. And then that department has some USA people and some Canada people. Well, what you're saying speaks to one of my credit checks, which is okay. the, the, the way this, this, this movie has crediting problems, okay? They haven't figured out how to do it. It's so fragmented. The ca- the cast yes I noticed yes the cast are divided every which way by billing appearance locations yeah it, this movie is not sure how it wants to credit it it's the people involved it's pretty schizophrenic and when it gets to the like uh, so it decides suddenly that it wants to do it by location and then it says prison and it's just one actor it's like you can see <laughs> the crediting method backfiring in real time backfiring in real time. So because they also they don't right. make just that choice because they also make like uh, well maybe it is still because they I I was thinking of the night you know the 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 sort of montage night yeah because don't they go you know sort of like ship robbers tree girl they do it every possible you know? way you can yeah um well my first my first credit check uh, second unit director. A certain John Glenn, director oh, of all the James Bond movies of the nineteen eighties. <laughs> yep, still, still talking about James Bond, but this time you yes. got to pay for it. Um, you got it. You got it in at the end. <laughs> uh, seven minutes of credits with three act breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm too off the mark thinking this is long for 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, and the credits are basically a film within themselves. Right. Stunt coordinator Alf Joint. <laughs> now, this is either is that, Alf Joint. Is, is it like a Spike Lee joint? No. Is that just his name? Well, Alf, Alf is his name? and Yeah. Uh, Alf, <laughs> Alf is either. Well, that's another. I hadn't even thought of that connection. It's either an artistic alias for a stuntman or really a man who is named after what he breaks regularly in his job. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've talked about product placement so much in the movie. Oh, yeah. Down to Clark Kent's wardrobe being supplied by Barney's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) An international film incorporated picture sounds like something (laughs) someone would make up for a newsreel parody. Right. An international film incorporated picture. It sounds like something you'd see in the set of the uh, of the newsroom. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's it. That's all I had. We covered. Right. We covered the rest of it in in the episode. Well, we have. We got the first one in the books. 
Yeah. We have given you, our fans, the bonus episode you deserve, but we're also going to give you one last bonus. We talk about imbasses all the time, Tom. It must be a sequel, and one of our imbasses are inversions, and we're going to do our own inversion. Instead of the beginning of the episode, we'll talk at the end. Yeah. I'll ask you first. I think we both know the answer. Is this a good movie? This is like the 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 um, the bizarro world of our podcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, it's beyond. <laughs> what a an go- apt moniker for this oh, particular movie. It's a beyond a good movie. I mean, it's a near it's so perfect good. movie. Really, there's one or two things I'd change, and that is it. It is just. I and again, look, it, it's it's weird for me because having seen the sequels more than this, it still surprises me. Well, obviously, it's still, there's a bunch of things I didn't remember were in it. <laughs> but it still surprises me and catches me off guard in a way that films I've seen more of don't. So uh-huh. I might, part of it might be that euphoria. But mm-hmm. I get, yeah, like I have a visceral emotional reaction to certain scenes. And I think the whole thing hangs together better than any other uh, Superman movie that I've seen. Well, that leads me to my second question. And I think I already know the answer for you, which is, you know, we did our ranking with the Superman series. You went three, two, four. I went two, three, four. As you are fond of reminding me, yes. Yes, sir. (laughs) Is this movie better than Superman (laughs) 3? What a loaded question. I mean, how can it not be? Now I see why you it? suggested doing these, doing the original <laughs> movies. It was all for this payoff for you, wasn't it? Yes. Of course it's better than Superman 3. I mean, I'm not that brain damaged. All um, right. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say this because it feels like it undermines everything we've been saying for the past couple of years. But it really is uh, in a league of its own. Above the rest of the movies in the in the Superman franchise, not just well, not just the original series, but uh, the um you know all the all the reboots and the um. It is a tighter race for me than it is for you. You think what? How? What do you? What do you possibly? What could you possibly be talking about? Well, I had Superman two, yeah, as my top, but. <laughs> Which is a, a very imperfect have, movie. It's I know. I'm fond of, but <laughs> compared to this, <laughs> I, I understand. You know, I go back and forth because I think things like this movie has Lex Luthor, and it has General Zod, but not really. The next movie has them both. And working together, and two actors that I love, but it's the same movie talking to each other. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. As far as Gene Hackman was think... aware, he was filming the same movie when he did that. I got. I have to tell you, until we did this podcast, and until maybe this watching of Superman, I probably would have always said Superman Two is better than Superman the movie. I probably always would have said it because I, I just, you know, I, during our Star Wars series, I spoke about 
uh, how that first Star Wars movie sort of launched my love of film to begin with. But Superman 2 uh, was just one of those movies that was, yeah. you know, awe-inspiring to me. And I used to... Th- I, and, and I used to... You know, I used to think it was better, and I used to think it was closer to Superman the movie, but uh, the the proof is in the pudding, and I can't... This just. I think for me, what it was more than anything was I liked the ending better. To Superman 2? Yeah, I like the... Yeah, know, I'll give you that. Between the, I'll give you the that. battle with the villains. That's what, I, you know... So, for me, it was like they're both on... They're both on par, which is not true, but... I would have said they were both on par, but this one has the better ending, so it's a better movie. Yeah. Everything in this movie that's not the end, mm. I think, is better. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it, you know, I, I'm 100 percent so, with you there. I think it, it's a Superman two has a stronger ending, and I think, I think the most problematic thing about Superman the movie is its ending. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but that I mean, is Lois seems to get on the West like Coast out of nowhere. In the entire film. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a film with like 1930s gangsters. And I, so I don't I, I don't quite understand why it's so good. And I've heard people express this opinion before that they find it very hard to justify, you know, how a movie which has like a montage of cat burglars and muggings and things is so good. But right. but it really is. But it is. Yeah. And you just know it while you're watching it. And it's hard to mm-hmm. argue when you're not watching it. But it, when you're in it, when you... <laughs> and I guess that's what cinema is, right? It's 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 an immersive experience. And when you're... If, if you're brought into the world well enough, you accept anything within it. Yeah. Like the time tunnel. <laughs> I don't know Stop how we got his suit tunnel. back. By the next episode, I don't know how it's the time just what happened. Works. You refuse to tell me. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. We're both gonna say that uh, this one's the best in the series, yeah. and of course, it's a good movie. Yeah. Our work here is done. <laughs> Our podcast is over. There's no more reason for us to continue. Yes. <laughs> this is our first and We've only. We've unproved our only point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, if you've pay, if you're paying ten dollars a month, stay tuned because we're going to be talking we'll, Man of we'll Steel. We'll unravel something else that we said earlier. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> All right, that's it for this our inaugural episode for the super fans for Tom mm. Stewart of Lonesome <laughs> Whistle Productions. Michael Shawn's here of the How Dare You Awards. Stay tuned, you bonus five. Five more dollar people. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. Are we going to Addis Ababa, Mr. Luthor? <laughs> Again, I'm pretty sure Richard Donner cuts before that line has even been said. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right. That's it. Until next time.